Hi, everyone. This is Danny, and welcome to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories, where we host conversations for healing and change. This season, we are focusing on mental health and healing. I hope these episodes are both eye-opening and give you a chance to reflect on your own journeys. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Ryan Harris is a motivational speaker, ex-Denver Bronco, and Super Bowl champion. And overall, a really great guy. I had a blast connecting with him, and it was so cool to hear about the NFL, his unique perspective on his experiences, the pressures and expectations to play football at that level. He shares super relatable tips on how to eliminate distractions, find your discipline, in the very human process of setting boundaries. He talks about how we all need to define our own success in our own lives and surround ourselves with people who will help us reach those goals. I was blown away by his vulnerability and ability to lead with his own story and share his shortcomings and what he had to do to become who he is today. I'm really excited for you to listen. We talk about racism. We talk about society. We talk about so much in this. Here is our episode. How are you doing today? Life is good, man. I'm blessed and um, highly favored, man. Just thankful and, and working hard. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm grateful. I'm off work today. Yeah, it's super nice to relax and kind of enjoy like what I'm most passionate about, which is these conversations. Yeah. All right. Well, Ryan, I know a little bit about you from Google searches and from our mutual friend, Marissa. But I'm curious if you could start by just telling us where you're from, what your background is, and yeah, a little bit about yourself. My name is Ryan Harris. I played 10 years in the NFL, won Super Bowl 50, my ninth season with the Broncos, a team that drafted me in 2007, fired me in 2011, uh, and then I came back in 2015. Also played for the Houston Texans, Kansas City Chiefs, and Pittsburgh Steelers. From St. Paul, Minnesota, went to Notre Dame after that, after high school out of St. Paul and now live in Denver with my wife and three kids. Nice. I was reading a little bit about your stint in the NFL. It sounded like you've been everywhere. <laughs> Haven't we all? You know, yeah, it's, uh, it's an amazing situation, you know, and it helps me now as a broadcaster, as I do, you know, broadcasting for Notre Dame and the NFL, and, and it helps me as a speaker, too, to connect with a lot of different people, you know, from a lot of different backgrounds. But yeah, I mean, you know, getting drafted to Denver, I had no idea. I, I didn't know anything about Denver other other than they had Rocky Mountains. And I didn't know where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot coming here at 22 and figuring out things on my own while playing in the NFL and then being released by the team that signed me, you know, after my third back surgery. It was, it was pretty tough, pretty tough time, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And going to Houston, I learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about just a different part of our country. And then went to Kansas City and learned a lot about Kansas City as well and had a unique and awesome time there. And then came back to Denver, which was wild because, you know, in leaving Denver by being fired, I'd never been more embarrassed in my life. I thought my life, my career was over and yet it was just the beginning. And so I was so grateful to be back. And I, and I know I pushed, you know, kind of took some people by surprise. Like, you know, hey, Ryan has no ill feelings. It's like, no, I needed to be fired. I was arrogant and unwilling and now I'm a better player and, and then to start my family in the NFL and, 
moved to Pittsburgh after winning a Super Bowl and then moved back. I mean, life's been really amazing and, and a journey that I'm very grateful for. And I've seen a lot of amazing places in this world, not just in this country. Wow. That's really incredible. Just to be able to persevere, because I did see some injuries that you've been through and to persevere through all you've been through to come back, to win a Super Bowl, to make a career in the NFL, which is like what, 0.000001% of all athletes out there. It's really amazing and inspiring. And you kind of touched on the personal side of it all and your growth. And in this season of the Soul Stories podcast, we're talking about mental health and healing. And I'm curious, what was your personal and emotional and mental health journey as you went through the NFL? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I experienced a lot of what many people experience, you know, but one thing for me is I always chose my mindset and I'm huge on this, mm-hmm. you know, and I chose my mindset by saying the words I am, I can, I will, you know, I am a freshman at Notre Dame. I am getting my tail kicked. But you know what? I am here because I can play football and I can focus on one drill and I can turn my career around just in this one practice and I will. And then that happens. And, oh, goodness. Well, I'm going to choose my mindset again. So when the Broncos fired me, you know, I said, you know, I was, well, I was concerned that, you know, how do I be a good husband? How do I be a good husband without being a Denver Bronco? You know, everything in my life was tied to football. Who am I? And instead of staying stuck, I chose my mindset. Okay, I am turning the page in my career. I can make sure I never get fired again for my arrogance and my unwillingness. And I will make sure that I ask questions and I recognize distractions and I focus on what it is I really want. So many times in life that I experience and I see with other people is that we go through these periods where we're doing things we really don't want to be doing. And for me in the NFL, that meant entertaining family and friends on a Friday night. That's my Wednesday in the NFL. You know, I have no business. If you want to come see a game, one, I don't have to buy your ticket. And two, I definitely don't have to take you out and wine dine you (laughs) around the city. You know, so like one of the things I did is I made people come on Saturdays. And I said, hey, if you want to hang out, hang out till Monday. Well, only twice did somebody do that. And every time the excuse was the same. I got work on Monday. Well, wait a second. I got work on Saturday and Friday. You want (laughs) to come here and have me take you out and you don't care, but I'm supposed to care about your work. And that's what people I love, right? These are people I loved and I wanted to spend time with. And in leaving Denver and going to Houston, I really found that I can create my opportunities by staying focused, choosing my mindset, knowing that failure does not mean that's the end and choosing to create with the words I can, like, what can I do? I can lift more. I can ask more questions. I can, you know, take care of my body more. I can study about, you know, what nutrients I need for performance. And that also turns into how to communicate with others. You know, Hey, we're in a time of rapid social consciousness about social justice issues. How can I, as an African-American male, create an environment for someone to have a conversation and ask questions to move our conversation and move change along. And so choosing my mindset has been critical in every step of the way to reach my success, to continue pushing, to overcome nine surgeries in 10 years. I mean, these are things that you really have to, you have to make a decision what will stop you. And I made the decision that, you know, they'd have to kick me out of the NFL. They're going to have to (laughs) kick me out of broadcasting. And if they're not willing to do that, well, I'm going to be great while I'm doing it. There's so much you touched on. Wow. I could ask a hundred follow questions. I'm curious as, I mean, one thing is you're a 22 year old kid, right? Coming out of college 
and you're expected to perform on Sundays in front of all these people. And I think you spoke to it a little bit. It sounds like there's a lot of expectations of your family and your friends. What kind of pressures do you experience uh, in that position? Tremendous and pressure that you couldn't expect. You know, one example is, you know, after you get drafted, so I got drafted by the Broncos and I flew out for their initial press conference and then I flew back literally the same day. And I woke up the next morning and my uncle, who I still love to this day, you know, who I'd known my whole life, had sent me an email. He said, hey, check your email. I have a proposal for you. Like, well, I don't know what that means. Well, he sent me a proposal for a $2.4 million construction project where we were going to buy land, take down the existing apartments, fix the ground issues because they had structural ground issues, and then build up an eight-unit condo that we could resell. What? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, my, my uncle's not in construction. He's not in real estate. I, mm-hmm. We've never talked about money. And I'm literally <laughs> just back from, you know, my first press conference as a Denver Bronco, let alone getting a single dollar. Right. And those, that's just one of the many examples of people you love who are close to you acting, you know, creating something that you have no, how do you even respond to that? Right. You know, how do you turn that down? How do you say, hey, that's probably the stupidest thing I could do right now. <laughs> yeah. I know you mean well, but I'm in wealth preservation. And oh, by the way, you know, don't take advice you're looking for from people who don't have that success. Why am I going to look for financial advice from, from my uncle who's never developed an entire property, let alone created wealth on a long-term sustainable basis? I need somebody different. Mm-hmm. And so saying no has been an incredibly tough thing to do. And also knowing that if the people who are there that love you, they're going to be there when, when, when you are not focused and they don't actually want to, at the end of the day, take away from you. You know, if I had asked my uncle at that time, do you want to take my entire wealth away from my future family so that we can build a project that is probably <laughs> grossly underestimated and is going to make me bankrupt? He'd say no. And yet right. what caused him to do that one day after I was drafted? I don't know. And so that's just an example of one family member of mine who I still love to this day, creating an environment that I I just had no answers for, no interest in. And I had to be very firm about, listen, no, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. And this isn't what's going to happen moving forward. Me in the NFL doesn't mean the existence of all of your dreams and things that you could do with my money. It makes me think of just the fantasy mindset we have of professional athletes and celebrities just seeing them they're on tv like you sign a contract and all of a sudden it it becomes like an otherworldly kind of person yeah and and one of the things people do not understand they think you know you get to the nfl and you're rich forever nfl is full of people just like you and me danny and i'll tell you something people go broke buying stupid things right and trying to impress people and and I wasn't going to be that person. 78% of NFL players are bankrupt and either chemically dependent or divorced or all three just two years after playing in the NFL. Wow. And when you consider that fact, and I've gotten the phone calls to buy back a used backpack, a used Mercedes Benz, you know, can I get a $100,000 loan real quick? These are realities that a lot of people find themselves in. But people forget that just because you go to the NFL doesn't change who you are, how you were brought up. You really have to evaluate your value systems around money. You have to educate yourself on how to build wealth and preserve wealth versus just spend, which is the easiest thing to do as an adult. When money comes at you that fast and that quick, I can only imagine. 
Yeah, you get um, new money, you need a new plan. If you're going to get a raise, you need a new plan before that money hits the bank account. Otherwise, you know, you're going to get that money and you're going to go and buy it, uh, what you think is a $1,100 iPhone. Well, you've got $3,300 in expenses every month. That's a $4,300 iPhone, you know? So just looking yeah. at cost and price and understanding, by the way, your phone works right now and $1,000 of Amazon stocks probably going to do you more and buy you a future phone if you want to. Recognize distractions. I mean, people are big time distractions to performance. No question. And the best athletes I've been around, the year we won Super Bowl 50, we were the best team I was ever on, on focusing on what mattered and, and being clear with other people, listen, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a path to win a championship. That's uh -huh. not in my cards, whether that, you know, I'll come visit your kindergarten school after the season. You know, I had somebody the week of the Super Bowl text me. I didn't talk to them in three years. Said, hey, Ryan, uh, I really want you to, congratulations on the Super Bowl. By the way, can you come by my kids' kindergarten class and get them excited? <laughs> For the Super Bowl and I'm like hi first of all and no I'd love to talk to your kids after the Super Bowl but the week of the Super Bowl when I'm practicing for the biggest game of my life I'm not coming to your kids school it's just I wouldn't ask you to do that you know so these are the many ways in which I had to grow as a person and I believe all of us have this ability and necessity to grow and to realize what's a distraction so you can reach your potential your greatness and apologize later it sounds like the very human process of setting boundaries and just figuring out what your boundaries are and what you need for yourself, how to take care of yourself and still love people around you. Yeah. And, and those boundaries to me come through reverse engineering what your goals are. You know, I wanted to win a championship. What does that mean? That means I'm training three days a week in the off season. That means I'm sleeping. That means I'm not going to you know meetings and I'm not going to go golfing I just have other things I want to do I need to rest I can research about rest you know same thing about hey I want to be one of the greatest broadcasters and greatest speakers that there are so what do I need to do how can I do that I can study sounds and audio I can figure out what the human brain likes I can learn about how to ask questions and these are ways that really create performance no matter what it is you want to do in life that's amazing you have an incredible work ethic all of us do, right? All of us do. And, you know, Mike Tomlin at the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's their head coach. He said, you know, he calls some players on opposing team comfort seekers. And he warns players about being comfort seekers, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of times it's easy to be comfortable in, in a job that you know, even if you may not like it, and people you know, and a job you can do, you know, in a house that you can live in. And these are things that just didn't appeal to me in terms of being comfortable. I wanted to see how far I could go. I wanted to see how, how, how far I could fail in a way. And turns out when you go after failure for success, you're going to find some, but you're going to find more success at the end. That's awesome. Earlier you mentioned players becoming chemically dependent, which I actually didn't know. I did know that like the average NFL length is like something like two years or three years or something really short. Mm -hmm. As far as mental health goes, what kind of supports do you see athletes needing and where are we falling short in terms of mental health support? Athletes and people in general need more support in learning how to manage stress. Mm. It is whether you're a doctor, a teacher, an athlete, how do you manage stress? How do you recover? You know, that's a huge thing that in the NFL recovery is as big as performance. Yeah. You know, sleep is the number one performance enhancer right now in the NFL. 
10 to 12 hours of sleep per night with 45 minute naps during the day is a way to increase your overall performance 9%, your reaction time and critical thinking ability 24%. We do not place people in an environment to manage stress, whether that's yoga, you know, whether that's exercise, which is proven to be more beneficial than medication when it comes to anxiety and depression. How about financial literacy? How much stress would financial literacy mm. take away from life? How much stress if you knew how to save money, if you knew how to have a couple of extra months in rent if you had to? What would financial literacy do for mental health? You know, these are things that all come from how to manage stress. We're not taught that in school. We're no. not taught that in college. We don't talk about that in families. We may see people with coping mechanisms, but that's not talking about managing stress. And that is the number one issue as I see it. As a former NFL player, as a retired athlete, and as a human being just like you, Danny, we are woefully underprepared to manage stress. And that leaves us to the whims of those around us and the examples we see, which usually are not the best examples. That makes sense. I mean, it makes sense that whatever's in your environment is what you'll mirror. And that when hard times come up, if you've seen people use negative coping skills or things that are destructive, that's what you'll turn to. Yeah. And how are you supposed to know any different? Right? Right. You know, who taught you to breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth to reset your nervous system? Who taught yeah. you to, to visualize your success because your brain actually creates the, the connections that believe it's real? You know, who tells you to take a minute? Who tells you to say no? Who tells you to structure your goals and write them down so you can look, hey, do I want to go out Friday night? Does that help me win a championship? No. Does that help me heal? No. Does that get me ready for a game? No. Okay. No, I'm not going out tonight, you know? Um, and that could be for any person at any job anywhere in the world. What was that like for you that it sounds like the big year of transformation for you was right after your first stint with the Broncos. What did you learn? Were there like, was there a moment or moments during that year where you're like, I'm going to make a shift? Yeah, it was, was when they told me they were going to release me. You know, I'd never been more humiliated in my life. As, how am I going to tell my wife, uh, you know, I lost my job because I was arrogant and unwilling. I, I, I was comfortable, Danny. I, I thought, I mean, I'd played in the NFL at a nice house in this area where we're at in Colorado called Highlands Ranch. I was in a cul-de-sac. I was good. I knew how to play football, believe me, right? Um, but that wasn't the case. And that's not the type of player that helps you win championships. And so getting that taken away from me, one, I'd never seen myself outside of Denver. Two, I'd never seen myself as not a Denver Bronco. And I had a decision to make. You know, I could choose to wallow in my sadness and my anger and unemployment, or I could choose this would be the beginning of a new me. Yeah. And in doing so, I spoke the words, I can. I can ask questions. I can make sure uh, I never lose my job again. I, I can recognize distractions. I can be as rude to people as they are to me when it comes to my time. You know, mm -hmm. if you want to take me to dinner, the night after the game in which I'm traveling home, I'm going to be as rude to you as you are to me. And I learned a lot too. When I left Denver and went to Houston, 98% of the people that called me on a weekly basis stopped calling because I wasn't a Denver Bronco. They didn't care about who I was. And so that was eye-opening for me. That was yeah. actually freeing for me. I thought I was responsible to all these people for my time. Hey, and just like they say in the Queen song, no time for losers because we are the champions. I don't have time for people who want to waste my time. I don't have time for people that have a one-way street in terms of how I can benefit them. That's not who I want to be around. 
that's not who's going to change this world with me. And that's not who's going to make a difference in the communities that I live in and that you live in. I want to take a moment and pause to thank all of our patrons for their financial contributions and monthly donations. It goes a long way to bringing this podcast to you in a high quality format, as well as supporting the volunteers at Soul Stories. If you want to become a patron, it's as easy as $2 a month. You get bonus content and the link is in the bio. Now let's return to our conversation. Yeah. Maybe this is just for me, but who were the people reaching out to you? Were they people you just met in Denver? Were they like friends before Denver or? Yeah, mostly, mostly it was just people who had met me in Denver from, you know, what I like to do. You know, I, I smoke cigars. So I had five or six buddies from a mm. cigar lounge, probably 15 of them, but four, only four or five of them actually came to see me in Houston. The rest of them always wanted me to, hey, will you call my nephew and wish him a happy birthday? Hey, come over to the house. We're going to have dinner or Hey, I'm going to have, I had somebody tell me, Hey, I'm going to have 30 people over to the house. Why don't you come over and we'll do a Memorial day barbecue. So I brought food for 30 people and there was three people there and it was her and her family and two of her family members. And that's great. But that's also, you know, like I'm not supposed to bring food for 30 people as a 22 year old who's in between practices. That's not my job on a Wednesday, Yeah. you know? So I really just, so when I left and I couldn't be a Denver Bronco for people, I was one much more guarded when people were looking for a Houston Texan as a friend versus if they knew me. And two, I didn't do some of the things that I normally did. You know, I'd have a cigar outside of my apartment or something, but I'm not going to a cigar lounge. I don't care about going out. I really don't. I want to be great. I want to maximize my time in the NFL. I want to maximize my talent. And so that really helped me just realize people are full of crap sometimes. They want nothing <laughs> yeah. to do with you. Yeah. And the more you can realize that and create those boundaries we've talked about earlier, the more you protect yourself and your dreams from what you want to accomplish. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of people were projecting onto you and trying to get their own desires met through what you were doing. Well, and people, I think, project as well, whether you're an athlete or not, right? Yeah. But, hey, you know, hey, good job. No, that was a great job I just did, you know, actually. Hey, you know, uh, Maybe you could be a little better. Maybe I could. And I'm going to celebrate the win that I have in finishing the project. You know, people mm -hmm. project on us all the time. You know, all the time people will say, well, you know, I have a family member who, you know, what I call is testing limited thinking, right? There's comfortable and limited thinking. And so I said, you know, like, hey, why don't you go downtown? And, and my family member said, well, I can't do that. Why, with an attitude like that, Peter Pan, of course you can. Why not? Peter Pan. Well, well, I can't. I can't parallel park. Well, why can't you? Well, I just. I just don't know. Well, what are you talking about? You know. So pushing beyond these limits we place on ourselves is really so freeing, right? Mm -hmm. It gives you freedom to do what you want, to be who you are, to tell somebody, "Hey, go bleep yourself. I, I don't need that." Hey, by the way, don't ever speak to me in that that way again. Hey, I'm staying positive about my opportunities. I don't need your negativity here. You know, and those are yeah. things we can all say to keep the right people around us. Because I can tell you as a Super Bowl champion, the right people were around me when I was holding Lombardi Trophy on that field. And the people who didn't deserve to be there weren't there. And every sacrifice is worth it. You don't need a bunch of friends. You're going to lose friends. That's good because you're moving forward. Only keep people with you who are moving forward or contributing to your life. That is even something I've been, I'm 29 and I've been working through myself is just like friends and people who stay in my life and people who I thought were, you know, there for the long haul all of a sudden did something fucked up. And I was like, I, 
I, like I'm at a loss for words and it hurts. Like it feels like it feels like a loss and it's even sometimes challenging to deal with losing people who I know aren't good for my life. Yeah. I mean, the tendency is to think that something's wrong with you. That's why you lost them. Right. Yeah. And yet what I've found that really helps in these situations is find something to be grateful for that they taught you. You know, mm. somebody taught me that I cared too much about people too early. And I'm okay being that person. I'm okay thinking we're closer than we are. I'm okay thinking that, hey, you know, we, we had a stronger relationship than that. I lost somebody who was one of the best men in my wedding. And mm. it was a friendship of convenience for them and for me no longer. I'm grateful for the times I had. For one, I'm grateful that I learned how good a bad friend can be. You know, I mean, think yeah. about that. I'm grateful to learn about how good a bad friend can be. And I'm not going to do that again. I'm grateful for that experience. I'm thankful. You know, even after winning the Super Bowl, the Broncos didn't bring three of us offensive linemen back. And between the three of us, we had over 170 starts in the NFL. Well, I could be upset about that. Or when I saw John Elway after, I said, hey, John, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this football team this year. It was an incredible ride. An experience I'll always remember. Thank you so much, Mr. Elway. And it just, he even kind of, he was like, yeah, Ryan, absolutely. I'm sure he was thinking about, why didn't you sign us back? Why did we go for another right. championship? Well, no, that's, that's, that's not here nor there. What am I grateful for? That I was a part of a championship team. That I was brought in. That I was given the opportunity to prove you wrong. You know, and those are ways in which you can overcome the losses you may suffer in life. The detours. Find out what you're grateful for in that experience, in that relationship, and hang on to that and just see that person through that prism. Yeah, and that honestly requires so much humility to make that call. I, I mean, I could picture myself being super resentful of a decision like that. And how does that serve you? You know, yeah. how does being resentful serve? And I've been there, trust me, I've, I've been there where I... I'm so angry at somebody, you know, I had a coach one time in the middle of one of the most grueling practices I've ever had. He told me, and I'm literally one of the only linemen that's left standing because other people have fallen out. They're out of shape. They got injured. He said to me, Ryan, we want you to be successful. But we're going to need more. I mean, I've never wanted to strangle the life out of somebody until <laughs> yeah. that moment. And I'm seething in this meeting. I mean, literally sweating from my armpits. I got chest sweat, you know, that sweat that you're like, oh man, like I got to change. And I realized my coach was still talking to the entire room. I wasn't even on his mind in that moment. And here I am hanging on to all this anger and all this frustration. So in that moment, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay positive. No matter what the coaches tell me, I'm proud of myself for showing up every day. I'm going to work on my craft to get better. I'm going to have fun. And if those things at the end of the day don't get me on this team, I'm going to be okay with that. What I'm not going to be okay with is being angry with the people around me and letting them control how I feel every day. And that's a different way to approach things. It's a different mindset. And that's something that we can all choose. Yeah, it sounds like I think most people, and I've struggled with this a lot, is taking things personally. And it sounds like in that moment, you were able to depersonalize and focus on the bigger picture. And also, there's like a theme I, I keep hearing coming up while you're talking is you're not turning to people for your worth and your value. And you're not turning to like, and you're in a situation as an NFL athlete where you have, as you mentioned, every distraction 
every external reward you could possibly want to turn to for your worth. And I think most of us struggle finding our own self-worth. I think that's a big part of mental health. How do you do that? How do you find that yourself in there? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, some, one thing I do sometimes with, with people is I say, what is your worth? Set, what's your hourly rate? You know, what's the rate for your time that makes you happy? What, what is your worth? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes for people, it's money. Sometimes for people, it's feeling, right? Like, I'm worth feeling positive when I want to be positive. And one of the things that I had the benefit of learning that I, I think most people don't have in being in the NFL, I had bad coaches, right? I had coaches who were bad and bad meaning they didn't know how to motivate me the right way. They didn't understand what worked and what didn't work on the field. So I have had practice with, okay, here's a coach who doesn't know what's going to work in the NFL. And a lot of coaches are drinking buddies of, of other, especially offensive line coaches, right? Like, who are you going to pick to coach the offensive line? Oh, I, I drank with Danny. He can figure it out. It can't be that hard, <laughs> yeah. right? And so how, how do you work with a bad leader? Yeah. For me, you know, you're absolutely right. Taking it personal is something we all struggle with, something I struggled with for a long time until that moment I spoke with you. I took everything personal until I said, listen, this coach, he's wrong about me. You know, and when you choose your mindset, people will be wrong about you all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's their problem, not yours. And so when you get into these moments where you're looking for your worth, it's not, it's not from them. It's not from people who don't understand what you're working towards. And it may also be that you need to work harder, right? I've had to tell myself, I'm not listening. I'm not working as hard as I can. I am being lazy. Part of that may be being honest with yourself. Yeah. But at no point does anybody ever tell you your value. I don't care who you are. Patrick Mahomes, the the best quarterback in the NFL, was not the number one pick. There were teams that doubted him until he got picked up by the Kansas City Chiefs. People are going to doubt you everywhere you go. People, especially if you try and reach your greatness, if you go for a goal, you're going to scare the crap out of people who are comfortable. right? If I'm friends with you, Danny, we've been playing video games the last year and a half on the couch, and you say, you know what, I'm going to go to law school. What does you going to law school mean about me as a video game player? I'm, gonna, I'm losing my video game, buddy. What do you mean you're going to law school? You, yeah. You've never read a book in your life. I'm saying things now to you that I would never do if I was actually thinking about it. But your yeah. worth does not come from other people. Your worth comes from your commitment to your craft and your goals and how strong you are willing to be to achieve them. Mm, that's so good. Yeah, I love that example of the video game player. Because I think it is so true that when we make decisions for ourselves, we can threaten other people because they're not doing what they want to do for themselves. 100%. And we threaten their perception of us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the best texts I got after I retired from the NFL, a head coach now in the NFL said, congratulations on a great career. You have no idea how many people you proved wrong. I love that, man. Man, it gives me chills, yeah. You know, because... Who the fuck are they? You know what I'm saying? Who are <laughs> yeah. you? Who yeah. are you to doubt me, dog? You know, and and I'm glad I didn't care. You know, and and I also have experience in this as a multiracial, you know, kid. I mean, people wanted to place me in a box all the time of who I was and what I would do. You know, one time we were in, in a classroom and I'm, I'm 16 and a kid threw a Skittle at the teacher and she turned around and started screaming at me. I said, what on earth made you think that I threw that Skittle? And she got embarrassed immediately. And I said, why don't you ask the class who did it? 
And so she asked the class, and sure enough, it was a, a young lady who, who was of her same, you know, skin complexion. So I have experience being in places where people want to place you in a box where you as an individual have to say, excuse me, that's you putting that on to me. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I am doing. Here's what matters to me. You know, if you wanted to insult me, Danny, I'd be like, hey, that's great. Hey, I really appreciate your constructive feedback. Um, I'm going to take pieces of what you say, and I'm going to see if I can be constructive with it. And I encourage you to reach out to me anytime to help me improve because you know what? I do want to be great. And critique doesn't affect me. I see it as something I need to learn to be better. So thanks for helping me be great. For somebody who wants to shut you down, what could they possibly say after that? Yeah, that's a, that is a great line you have. I mean, I'm blown away by your level of communication too. Those are, yeah, this is, this is really cool. Speaking of that, you know, the last season of the podcast, we talked about the current cultural reckoning and the murder of George Floyd and racial injustice that's going on, which you just spoke to in the classroom, like the rampant racism that happens. I'm curious what your perspective is on it, or if I know you're a huge social advocate, what, what kind of difference you're trying to make? We need to change this world, period. And mm-hmm. everybody who, see, who witnessed the, the murder of George Floyd, I, I believe that really ushered in a change. Um, there's no question that was murder. And for a lot of people, I understand, right? Hey, Ray, I don't treat people like that. I would never do that. I've made sure that, you know, I, you know, I don't speak to people that way or I've changed. I mean, I've had numerous teammates in my years, you know, say, hey, you know, I really want to thank you, Ryan, just being your friend and you talking to me, treat me like a normal person made me realize that a lot of what I grew up with doesn't matter. And I'm going to leave those things behind me. So I realized that for a lot of people, you know, talk about police brutality seemed like something in the past. Talk about social inequality when it comes to our social justice system, things, things about in the past. I, I see and I understand how if you're in a work environment, it wasn't you who hired a 99% you know, white staff. It's not you who's in charge of hiring people. And I believe everyone in any of those buckets immediately was welcome to the fact that I live with every day as a husband, as a father, as a, as a taxpaying citizen, that things are very different every day for some of us. Mm-hmm. And that can't happen anymore. And so I understand that not only is that jolting and jarring, like, oh, my God, this is an issue that I thought was solved, that I've solved in my life, but we have to now go beyond our individual lives. And I also understand that if you're a significant other or if you're somebody who grew up in a family with, with perceptions and, and ways to place people in a cast, so to speak, that you're going to maybe lose your community by trying to go towards justice. And think about what that means. You may have grown up going to church every Sunday, and if you start going towards social justice and towards equality, you're going to lose the ones you love the most, the ones who may have supported you. So I understand this coming in. And I also understand that to win, to be our best, it includes all of us. Regardless of what, so I have racist teammates. I had teammates tell me they wouldn't let their daughter marry a black person, you know, a black man. And I just thought that was to be the most insane thing to say. And yet we would play together on Saturdays and on Sundays right next to each other. Because at the end of the day, when you're trying to achieve your best, color is irrelevant. I mean, race is a social construct, not a scientific one, right? right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, religion. I, had, I, you know, I'm Muslim. None of my teammates cared on third and nine for the, for the first down and to win the football game whether or not I was Muslim, that didn't matter, 
right? So I have all this experience in having success with the variety of different people who you have to accept, not agree with, and who you can still perform with. And that's the piece where we're going right now. We are going to a place where we don't have to agree with each other on topics, Mm -hmm. but we have to accept each other's place on our team. And the quicker we do that, the quicker we take care of some simple things that make a huge difference, the better we become as a community, as a country, and as individuals. Wow. That is amazing that you had people say blatantly racist things to you in the NFL where there's so many people of color who are playing alongside white people. I, that's like hard to calculate for me. Yeah. And try, try, yeah. Try being in that moment. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, you know, do I punch you in the face or, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and again, like, you know, the, the sports world is very different for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of like, you can address conflict physically, but what, what I ultimately, when someone says that to me, they're not trying to put me, I choose to see that as they're not trying to put me in my place. They're trying to have a conversation and they don't have the words. Mm, right. Like they're I mean, not somebody, educated. Yeah. Well, they, they just, maybe they haven't had that conversation ever. You know, yeah. a lot of families that never grow up talking about race. Whereas in my family, you know, race was the prism that made sense. You know, mom, why did they call me snicker bar? It was it, because I was black. Well, because you have black skin and they see you as different mom. Why did this grown person call me the N word? Well, this is because they don't believe this, that, and the other thing. Okay. So that makes sense. You know, why, why am I in trouble? I got in trouble in school for asking questions. The teacher literally sent me to the principal's office saying he asked too many questions and I feel threatened. Why is, why, are they, why is that happening, mom? Uh, because you're an African-American male, you're bigger, and people are intimidated at times. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm somebody who twice they tried to put me in special education, and I finished with two degrees in three and a half years from Notre Dame. How yeah. can both things be very, true? Very challenging school. So these are ways in which instead of getting upset with somebody, which doesn't create a productive conversation, I I just choose that this is somebody's attempt at having a conversation, right? Like if you and I, Danny, have never seen you play football, but if we strapped on the pads and we're going to play tackle football, I'm going to have more experience (laughs) than you in this area, right? So, So what use do I have in being upset with you and like, Danny, how could you not know who to pick up on that blitz? How could you not know how to hold on to the football, right? But we do that to each other in conversations all the time. Yeah. And not only do we treat people with anger, but we'll be the novice trying to tell somebody who's an expert on how things really are. What is that? I mean, could you imagine us playing tackle football and no. telling me what to do? Yeah. You know, but how often do we do that when somebody says, Hey, this is an experience I have. How often do we do that? You know, in terms of, I mean, I've had, you know, people, fans, you know, in the NFL say, I heard you're Muslim, but I can't believe you believe in this, that, and the other thing. I said, well, that's interesting. Are you Christian? Yes. Yes, I am. I believe in X, Y, Z. Okay, great. Um, Did you know, can I ever know more about Christianity than you? Of course not. Well, how can you know more about being Muslim than me? Well, I saw it on the news. Great. I've seen some things on the news. Does that mean that I know about Christianity more than you? No. Yeah. So we do this to each other all the time. And a lot of it is for us in a position of experience, for us in a position of knowledge, not to have that knee-jerk reaction and really take it as an opportunity someone's giving you to have a discussion. That's amazing. I certainly know people who wouldn't advocate for that. And I 
sincerely appreciate it because I mean, for you to have the experiences and have had those racist interactions and to have had to have these conversations since you were so young and to still have that stance of like trying to educate people, trying to bring people along and still fighting for social justice. I think, I think that's incredible. I think it like, you don't have to have that, you know, that's the difference between winning and losing though. You know, I, and I know that I can't be upset if they draft a rookie who doesn't know how to play football yet. I have to help that rookie so we can win as a team, you know, and I just bring that team aspect so that we can win together. You know, one of my favorite photos of Notre Dame's history is their father, Theodore Hesper, the leader of Notre Dame in the 60s, marching hand in hand with Dr. Martin Luther King. There's a lot oh, to take wow. from that. Yeah. There's a, there, first of all, it's white and black, which tells you what, we've never done anything without each other in this country. Mm-hmm. And also tells you, number two, I'm sure in the 60s, as the head of the largest Catholic institution outside of the Vatican, not a lot of people wanted him marching with Dr. King, who they called communist, right. who they called advocating for integration as socialist. And what does he do? How does he lead? And how can we do that? We need each other, whether we agree on that or not. That's the truth. That's history. And so my part is to make sure we're on the same team and where I can learn, I will learn. And where I can lift up, I will lift up because we can win together. That's really beautiful. You, you are such a talented speaker. I'll pay to come to one of your conferences. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you know, I'm happy that we had the chance to, to speak today, Danny, and, and talk about these things in a way that's different and, and gives people, you know, an opportunity to think about what they want to do and how they want to choose their mindset in their life. Can I ask you a bonus question? Of course. So my dad played for Miami, Ohio in the 70s. And he wanted me to say back when they were a top 25 team. And <laughs> <laughs> I think it, his buddies played at Notre Dame and his dream was to play at Notre Dame. And he got picked up by the Raiders and cut in like, I think the second week of training camp. And a big challenge for him was adjusting from as he calls a combat mentality to civilian life. And his curiosity was, what was that like for you? Yeah. Um, well, one, first and foremost, I hope your dad's feeling good. You know, playing football back in those days uh, was a different game. It still is today, but very physical game. And mm-hmm. he's absolutely right, you know. And, you know, I always draw a lot of inspiration from the armed forces. I have some friends that are, you know, in the armed forces, made a similar decision to enter them as I did, you know, sports. But it is in terms of a very physical, aggressive, um, dominating, you know, atmosphere that you're entering. And, you know, one of my biggest issues was how do I solve a conflict without a fist fight? Mm -hmm. Because in the NFL, hey, Danny, if you did something, I'm going to tell you once. And if you do it again, we're fighting. You know why. You know, I don't care if I win or lose, but you know I'm going to throw fists at you no matter what. And what's different about the NFL is whatever happens on that field, we're going to be friends, uh, you know, at at breakfast or at lunch, like you're going to pass me the salt. One of those times, you know, I was going back and forth with this, with this player. I was a younger player, my second year of the NFL. He starts talking trash about my mother, you know, bleep your mother, your mother's a bleeping bleep, 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 bleep. And so we're talking all this trash, the whole practice. And after the, after practice, which my parents were actually there, I'm talking to my my parents and, uh, this player comes by and goes, hey, Mrs. Harris, how you doing? How you doing, Mr. <laughs> Harris? I love your son. He's a fantastic player. And I'm like, hey, Ma, don't talk to that guy. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, him and I are about to, you know. But so I had to learn 
how to communicate. Hey, listen, don't speak to me that way. Uh, I had a broadcast partner who constantly challenged, you know, if what I was doing was smart. You know, I don't think it's smart to do this. I said, listen, man, the last thing you're going to do is tell a Notre Dame graduate with two degrees who's made it this far about smart decisions. Mm, yeah. Don't speak to me that way. You need to find another way to communicate to me because that's not productive for the both of us. And yeah. so learning those ways to communicate without grabbing somebody, throwing them against the wall and saying, if you bleep and say that again, I'm going to break your teeth in, you know, cause that's, that's allowed in football, you know, coaches yeah. would be like, you know, I had a coach who would always say, be a pillow fight anyways, put them down. You know, I mean, like that's the encouragement, not like, Hey, stop, use a rational mind to really right. follow, Take solve a deep this breath. issue. Yeah. So I had to resolve conflict in a, in a very different way. And, and that to me was one of the biggest challenges, learning how to communicate with people who haven't been in an aggressive and, and a position where you have to prove yourself, haven't overcome failure. I mean, one of the things that as an athlete, you overcome failure from the weight room to the, to the field. Mm -hmm. And so I have experience in failing. A lot of people don't. And so I had to be a little more aware and sensitive to people who failed and how that felt for them. And that was probably the biggest thing in transitioning into uh, civilian life, as your dad calls it, you know, that I had to work on. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I just appreciate your perspective, your insight, and your ability to persevere and overcome some incredible challenges in your life. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Ryan. Thank you, Danny, and, and thank you everyone for listening. And, and we all have the ability to persevere and choose our mindset. And I hope you all do that every chance you get. Thanks for listening to this episode and supporting the podcast. I absolutely love this project. I want to thank you, the listener, our guests for sharing their incredible stories and Kamga Chasa, the magic maker, the producer of the Soul Stories podcast. If you want to support us, leave a rating and or review, share it with a family member or a friend. This is Danny signing off.